Welcome back to the Brass and Unity podcast. And this episode this week is brought to you by Combat Flip Flops. Bad for running and even worse for fighting. Combat Flip Flops are your ticket to the unarmed forces by providing you with the military-inspired quality footwear for men and women. Be sure to enter the code UNITY at checkout to help support the podcast. And in support of women in developing countries, head over to combatflipflops.com and become part of their unarmed forces today. Also brought to you by Heads Up Guys. Heads Up Guys is a resource providing men with information and practical tips on how to manage and prevent their depression. This is a dedicated online tool devoted to helping men get the help that they need, finding someone to talk to, and navigate difficult times. For more information, please head over to headsupguys.org. Also brought to you by Jackson Rowe. Vancouver Design Jackson Row clothing caters to a relaxed bohemian lifestyle. Large doses of love go into every single piece, featuring comfortable favorites like sweaters, dresses, play suits, and even stuff for men and children. Made up of neutral tones and flowy West Coast vibes, Jackson Row uses only the highest quality materials to ensure that you stay comfortable and looking great. Be sure to check out yours today at jacksonrow.ca and use the code UNITY at checkout. And by Beneath, Starting with the first thing that you put on in the morning, Beneath inspires you to be your most authentic self. Get ready to experience increased comfort that radically outperforms anything that you've tried before while leaving minimal impact on Mother Earth. Use the code UNITY to get 15% off at checkout at Beneath.com. That's B-N-3-T-H.com. Hi guys, welcome to this episode of the Brass and Unity podcast. I was fortunate to sit down today with Julianne Q, who is a serial entrepreneur, as well as a fierce advocate for psychedelics, um, mental health, and she had a very informative interview. Um, we went through everything from childhood trauma into psychedelics, the realm of understanding mental health the best we possibly can, while both not being doctors. But it was uh, a very informative, very interesting conversation, and I am thrilled to show the rest of the world what this episode turned out like. So enjoy. So where is your family from? Uh, What's your Cambodia, Vietnam. Yeah. Okay, explain that to me. Explain it to me. So give me give me your background here because I feel like the the whole you just shot me into a hole. I've got so many questions but why you don't have a middle name and I'm so confused as to what I've never heard of that. Do people? Do you know people? I think a lot of Asians don't really? have middle names. Yeah. Okay. Um, but I'm. My parents are from Cambodia, Vietnam. Um, on the Cambodian side, there was a genocide. Yes. Which my mom lived through when she was like 12. And oh then there's the Vietnam, like the the Vietnamese War, and so I'm a product of that. So I was thinking about this on the way here. You know, there's like this whole side to me that you read on LinkedIn. And then there's the other side to me that's like, why am I so passionate about talking about the subjects that I'm passionate about? It's because there's so much in my story that has to do with coming to terms with my mental health or like trying, it's, it's huge. So anyways, like we were chatting earlier when a commenter comes to my YouTube channel and says, you talk about your trauma too much, first of all, my initial reaction was, I don't think I talk about it enough. enough. I'd like to talk about it more, so. I want to talk so, about it with you. If you'll talk about it with me. 
We'll get into sure. it. Sure. Well, I think, do it. That's why I'm here. I, I think, I think the, here's the thing. Um, I, I think the people that are the very minimal amount of people, but the people that are like starting to listen to this, what I'm, the feedback I'm getting is the honesty, the openness of what we are trying to um, do here. And it's this, you can talk to all walks of life. You can talk to people who look like they've got their shit together on the outside and their highlight reel is amazing. They've got 500,000 followers on Instagram. And unfortunately we value, we value numbers over actual personal accomplishment in like in society and how, and, and what they value that on is whether somebody or not approves of them rather than whether somebody or not is doing something positive. That's giving a positive impact to the world. And so you see that being skewed. So with you, you talk about your success all the time and I've talked to you about your success and I'm, I'm proud to know you because of the way, not only the person you are, but the way you've uh, grown over the past, I would say, my God, we've known each other what, six, are we going seven, six or seven years now? And I've, you, like you said, you've watched me grow with my business and I've watched you grow and you've grown and sold two companies and now you, you had a podcast going and now you've got your YouTube channel and everything you do seems to be um, successful for some reason, but I think there's a side of you that people don't know about. And the reason why you are such a badass, and the reason you are so hard headed and stubborn and passionate and forward thinking and, and willing to take on whatever you put in front of you, um, is because of your trauma and where you come from. So if you're cool to talk about it, I'd love to talk about your, your family history and why you are the way you are. Sure. Okay. Yeah. Tell me. I will have to say, though, I feel like this is the first time I'm going to be talking about this openly like this. Yeah. And it makes me a little nervous, but okay. I'm, I want to, I mean, that's why I'm here. So, Okay. Give it to me, baby. Tell me all about your family and where you come from. What makes you such a badass? First of all, I don't see myself as badass. And that's it's interesting that you, you see the way that you described what I've done. I don't think everything that I've done is a success. I feel like, it, like most people, you know, I've had more failures than successes. But the thing that I do identify with is having a drive. And I feel like that stems from all the way when I was really young. Like, I felt like I had to have a drive to get out of the environment that I was in. Mm-hmm. And I don't mean to say this. So my parents were working class. Like, they mm-hmm. immigrated here. They were refugees from Cambodia and Vietnam. And essentially, they came here with very little um, and only the Canadian dream. And so they worked a lot. There was also an element of intergenerational trauma because, you know, my mom had witness so much you know it's it's difficult exactly and so to be the child of you know parents who had seen so much um but of course I didn't understand that at the time I was a kid you know how could you you were not trained to understand that no kids understanding a parent right right so you know I mean I just remember some of my earliest memories like at the age of seven having my first suicide attempt Um, and then sort of just I think like 13 it happened again and then when I was 20 it happened but I had gotten so close that I actually ended up in the hospital Mm -hmm. so I would have yeah like I shouldn't be here right now (laughs) there's a reason you are you know that yes and like every single day I'm seeing it more and more especially now with this thing that I'm doing with my YouTube channel it's beautiful yeah, you know, but it's a beautiful thing. Listen, we, when, I, I, 
I want to applaud your bravery to talk about this, especially being willing to talk about this for the first time. And, and you don't know how it's going to make you feel. Um, you're just feeling those emotions. And, uh, and I let me tell you why I, I applaud it so, so aggressively, seriously. It's because I'm raising a child who is going to be hopefully a healthy child when he's an adult. But... I feel like I am like your mom in that sense. I saw things I should never have had to see. I've done things I should never have had to do. Even though I volunteered for it, I'm like your mom. Your mom was thrust, your family was thrust into this chaotic genocide and just horrific war that was so just dirty and um, violent. And to then try to raise a child in a society that seems so simplistic and so easy and so just nonchalant and nothing's a big deal and everything's wonderful. Like, that's, it's so hard to see that and know that, um, you know, she, she probably did the best that she, she could, but she might not have had the tools to deal with the trauma she had. Right. So it's important to me and it means a lot to me because I feel like, I'm, I'm raising a child and he's going to grow up one day and I want to know that I've done everything I can do to make sure that he doesn't suffer that trauma as well. But unfortunately, it was a time in our world where your mom and dad probably didn't know why they were acting the way they were acting or reacting to, like the way they were snapping at you or screaming or yelling or it's. Trauma, when it's not treated, when it's not diagnosed, when it's not looked at from a serious standpoint and how it affects those around them, it has such a dangerous ripple effect. Right. And it gets passed on. I don't believe that that's what's going to happen with your son because this is at the forefront of your consciousness. And I really admire you speaking openly about this because this these are the conversations we should be having. But for some reason, people shy away from talking about it. Um... I think now I have the understanding that my parents did the best that they could, but I didn't understand when I was younger. And to your point about volunteering for the war, yes, you volunteered to serve as, you know, like as a soldier. Yeah. But nobody, nobody can ever anticipate trauma. There is absolutely no way. It just doesn't make sense. It's not. <clears throat> Prepare for. Well, it shouldn't be. Nobody should ever prepare for trauma. Nobody should ever have to. But the, the world we live in, unfortunately, is is violent. And people think that humanity is a beautiful thing, and it sure is. But a lot of people don't see uh, what humanity can be pushed to and what a human being can do when they're pushed in that direction. And so I find it fascinating when I see stuff happening in the States where people are like, I've heard this so many times, especially like recently, um, where they're like, you know, you, you better watch out because when you attack veteran communities and you attack first responder communities and you attack these people, these people have seen, these people are not in Chaz in Seattle. These people are not playing games. These people have seen some shit and they know violence. And they know violence like civilians will never know. And so when you start to see things crumble in the way that they are in the States, it's actually terrifying to me because I'm seeing this happen. And what scares me the most is what it's going to do to the next generation of kids. 
yeah. and the trauma that this is causing. And we don't even take that into consideration, I feel like, at all. As a society, we don't we care about a certain age group and above. And we're not realizing that what we're doing, what we're putting out in the world, and how we're acting around our kids, yeah. and what they're seeing, is going to do to them. Right. Because, I mean, think about it. If your mom and dad hadn't come from where they come from, you wouldn't be a quarter of who you are today. And I think that would be, I think that would be unfortunate. Right. I think all of your struggles um, are pinpoints in your life that may feel horrific to you to look back at and may feel um, traumatic and bring up, you know, everything that you never wanted to ever feel again. But I think those are pinpoints in your life that make you who you are, and there's no goddamn reason anybody should ever feel ashamed for that. Right. Suicide attempts in your reality are your reality. Right. Those things happen. Absolutely. And I think I've gotten to the point now, and keep in mind, also a part of my story is that I've been, I've been, I've, I have four years of therapy, regular therapy mm-hmm. down my belt. Mm-hmm. And that's out of reach for a lot of people. And I've had yes. years and lots of time to just do my own self-study. And that's also out of reach for a lot of people. And I've, you know, I've also looked to other means to medicate myself to then learn, okay, I don't think this is for me, mm-hmm. but that's a privilege that I had to learn for myself. And then you had the opportunity to learn as yes. opposed to others who might not be in. Exactly. I was lucky that I was, that I got to yeah. the point where I could, you know, learn that for myself and somehow like by the grace of God or other people in my life helping me through it. I think part of the issue is people don't know how to talk about trauma. I don't think when when you go through trauma, first of all, it's admitting to yourself that that was, has been your experience mm-hmm. and coming to terms with that. And only after you come to terms with it can you then explain it to other people. And so that's actually a question that I would like to ask you because Maybe. it's a question that, I mean, I don't know how to answer this. I'm sort of in the process now of making YouTube videos. I know certain topics that I talk about seem to resonate with people, especially, you know, people coming out of the woodwork and just saying this happened to me mm-hmm. too. And I, and I, but I, I, what's the process? What's the process of talking about trauma <clears throat> in a constructive way? For God's sake, you're asking the most. I am not smart in this world. I'm not a doctor. I'm not a psychologist. I I know I've been in 10 years of uh, my doctor working with me every week diligently to make sure I keep my shit together and work on, on being a better person. But I, for me, I can only tell you how I do it. And I don't, it doesn't mean that it's right. And it doesn't mean that it's maybe always constructive for everyone. But I... I always come out of the mindset that I'm no matter what I'm talking about with my mental health, I'm honest. I'm very truthful and very raw about it because I think when you sugarcoat shit like suicide, the way sometimes things like um, Netflix had a TV show was it the thir- is 13 Reasons Why? That shit was hard to watch. I watched it because I actually saw uh, something I found concerning in it. This this glamour that the glamour is I glamorization glamorization is that a word if it's not it is now glamorization of this of this uh child who was so tortured that she took her own life yeah and this um 
the thing I liked is it showed the ripple effect, but I don't know that it showed the, it showed to an extent the true pain that, that suicide can have. My thought is we need to be more raw about it because I don't know that people really realize the, the, the true pain and um, low level a person has to be. Uh, to get to that point where they feel like being on this planet is no longer beneficial to them. And I come at it from, if I'm not going to be honest about it, how do I expect anybody else to be? If I'm not going to work on myself to better myself, how do I expect anybody else to? Trauma can happen to everybody. It can be circumstantial. It can be situational. It can be, you know, emotional. It can be physical. It can be sexual. It can be any type of trauma. Trauma is trauma. And when people say they play this game of, oh, my trauma's worse than yours, or my, I did, I, you know, this happened to me, and then they, you see this happen. And I feel, I don't know if you've seen it in this mental health, because there's this mental boom kind of happening right yeah. now. And I feel like maybe it's me, maybe I'm a little more cynical, but I feel like I'm seeing these people try to one up each other on this, like, well, this happened to me. Well, this, it's like, right. can we not just realize? shitty things happen to one another. Right. Can we not just talk about it and be there for one another? Right. You know what's interesting? I do notice that phenomenon, but I don't think they're using the T word. I don't think they're saying they're talking about their trauma. Mm. It's more so like if they have a diagnosis, mm. this is what I have. Or a label. This is, or this is, you know, the walk of life that I've led. Or I see it more in terms of that. Um, Different wording, but similar. Yes. To, yeah. There's also this idea... So the more I'm learning about trauma, the more I actually now believe that if you take the DSM mm -hmm. and then you also Which version of it? Like let's say it's four, the latest one. Okay. And and you actually incorporate if you take it a step further and assess you know the patient and ask them about their tra traumatic history, the DSM can be shortened to like two pages. Ooh. So like essentially, this is not all the case. You know, it's not every case, but in many cases. Let's say you have borderline personality disorder. It's mm -hmm. more likely than not you also have a history of trauma. Yeah, of dissociation. Or, yes, or bipolar disorder. Yeah. So could it be that all of these different diagnoses are just manifestations of trauma? Ooh, different manifestations I like that. of trauma. I like the way and you And as a that. society, we like to treat the symptoms. Yes. Or we like, you know, here, here's some pills. To Take some drugs. Them. Yes. Yes. What about the trauma you've been through? Yeah. We don't like to ask that question. Because that's a messy question. And because we don't have all the answers. Like, we, the scientists, I sp I've spoken with some incredible scientists recently and doctors who are working on the brain, who are working on dealing with trauma in particular. I don't know if you got a chance to listen to my episode with Dr. Fang Liu. I, heard, I, heard, I listened to Did you story. listen to yes. part of it? Okay, she's the one who's working on this drug that you give to trauma patients after that prevents PTSD down the road. Like... The, the, the thing is, is we don't know what will trigger that down the road for a, per, for a patient or person. The, the brain is such a massive, undiscovered, you know, part of our body that we don't know anything about. Yeah. Right. So, so, so what, I'm, what I'm saying is when somebody experiences trauma, that doesn't always affect everybody. 
It's crazy. Down the road, some people can say, this and this happened to me, but it didn't actually, I don't feel, I didn't have any ramifications from it. And for whatever chemical imbalance or reason, yeah. that shit sorted itself out in the brain at some point. Right. Do you know what I mean? So like, then maybe they didn't have any issues with, um, you know, uh, depression or uh, serotonin reuptake. They didn't need to have any of those kind of, they didn't have that. Their brain grew out of it, sorted itself out, and it rewired itself based on other positive factors that happen later on. And then you get others Mm -hmm. who go through a traumatic event or witness or hear or in a situational event Mm -hmm. where that takes their life on a whole different trajectory. Right. Now you're talking, you're, you're seeing symptoms, you're seeing diagnoses happening, and you're seeing... Like you said, this DSM being brought out. And that thing, if people don't know what the DSM is, that thing is no joke. That thing is, like, thick as hell. Yeah. Can you explain to people what that is so that they under, my, my listeners understand a little bit? Well, I'm not a psychologist, but from what I understand, um, it's a, a diagnostic manual. Yeah. Um, and when it was first, when it first came out, it was originally intended to be sort of, like, a guide and not ne- not necessarily something to be applied for real diagnoses. Okay. But as a the way that it turned out. A pathway. Insurance companies love diagnoses. Because it means money. Yes. And my therapist tells me so. I don't know. I'm gonna quote her on this. Quote. The next the next version of the DSM is going to reimagine these different diagnoses, not in terms because right now it's kind of binary. Like you either have yes. this or you don't. There's no in between, there's no gray yes. area. Yes. Yes. And in the next version Thankfully, it's true. The diagnoses are going to be seen in terms of a spectrum. So oh, okay. instead of you have bipolar disorder, you are on the bipolar spectrum. And it's it sounds like it's just a difference in slight, you know, like language. a slight difference in, in language. But it really, what it says is a person is, right now, your patterns fall on this this spectrum, mm-hmm. but it doesn't mean you're going to be you're going to be here forever. Yes, because theoretically, like we work on this. Yes, and we and we get to the point, and we catch it early enough, or we start doing therapy on these things. It comes down to early detection. Yes, that's exactly it. And you can be on the spectrum of things. Like there, there are children are on the spectrum of autism. There are children that are on the spectrum of all these other things. So why can't adults be, the D, like you said, why can't the DSM and adults be looked at in the same fashion? Right, exactly. Yeah. And I wish that it would have been explained to me. Um, so I, ha- I mm-hmm. had another experience. So after my last major suicide attempt. And that was when you were hosp- 20. Correct. Sorry to interrupt, you were 20. I just yes. wanted. And um, after the hospitalization, when I came out, I was assessed by a psychiatrist for an hour a week for four weeks and he gave me a diagnosis of borderline personality disorder what do you know about bpd um well i did go to school and my professor heidi if she's listening to this is going to kick me in the teeth right now because this is something i did i'm i love i'm very curious about mental health and these disorders what the stereotype is mm-hmm. um, is that the stereotypes a, is a vicious thing because uh, our TV culture and society has made it seem like there are these batshit crazy personalities and, and, and what I know about it, which I believe is, which I think is correct. So correct me if I'm wrong, please. Um, uh, uh, borderline personality disorder is when somebody has had a traumatic event where they disassociate so aggressively that another personality comes forward to then protect 
um, that you, you essentially, and it can come in different forms. There can be severity levels of it. Some people can have true borderline personality is very hard to diagnose if I'm not, if I'm not wrong. Um, I'm not sure about because it, it can yeah. range, right? Because in this, yeah. I know in the states there, there's been some in, incredible cases where they found people who have literal, uh, you know, ten personalities, and they yeah. are, yes, bang, yes, on, yes. Borderline personality is a dissociating. Yes, they situation. do this thing called splitting. So if you're Ooh. close to someone with BPD, you're either their favorite person, or you could start out as their favorite person, and then a couple weeks later, you're the worst person in the world. Oh, and it's the hallmark of BPD is, is emotional dysregulation. So I wasn't explained, like this, the psychiatrist didn't explain to me what my diagnosis meant. He sort of just wrote a letter to my, and sent it off to my family doctor. My family doctor met with me. He said, listen, there's not much we can do about this, but here's another antidepressant that you can try if you want. If you want. Yeah. Oh, well, that's, that's disgusting. So... You know, I'm already in a fragile place. And to be honest, because it wasn't really explained to me, I sort of, when I learned of it, I just sort of tossed it in the back burner and tried to live in denial. And it wasn't until, I think a year later, I was dating someone who happened to be a doctor. Okay, yes. yeah. And so, like, I mean, I don't know if you know this about me, but I don't do the... I'm not the greatest at relationships. I wouldn't say that. <laughs> I think that is a no. I think at least not when I was younger. Nobody was when we were younger. And it was, you know, emotional roller coaster with this guy. First of all, we were long distance. Oh, okay, so there's your first yeah. stretch. But I was really finding it hard. Like the moment we got closer, I was finding it really challenging to just sort of keep to stay cool. And that was when I started being curious about BPD again. And so I, I actually Googled it this time. And oh, dear. Google's not a good thing I, sometimes. You know, all of those stereotypes that you mentioned don't even scratch the surface of really? what's being written about borderline personality disorder. Like, I'll give you some things that I read. For example, it has a 10% mortality rate. So it's technically Excuse me? the most... Yeah, it's technically the most... Uh, it's the most depressing, yeah. you know. Suicide, that, that turns into a loss of life. It's one of the highest. Yes. Okay. Yes. Um, turns out it's seen as the most dangerous, you know, mental illness out there or something like that. And then I read all these stories about especially women with borderline personality disorder and how, you know, men ought to know that if you come across somebody with BPD, run in the other direction so that was really nice for me to read that okay. and so I'm in a relationship with this doctor and we break up and then I that was when I finally opened up to him about the fact that I have this diagnosis and then he just dropped me he just stopped talking to me oh that's disgusting so then I tried to live in denial again okay fast forward turns out I don't even have BPD Okay. After I got a second opinion, work started working with a therapist who, you know, could could see things for what they were and not just put you in a box really quick because that's what the DSM tells them to do. Yes. Okay. But for how old were you though when you finally got this? When I when you finally found out that you you, you don't have it. Like five years later. Oh, okay. Wow. So this has been you went your whole a good chunk of your yes. life thinking this was who you were. Yeah. 
and your identity was attached to this because somebody and the lack of effort. Yes. Oh, fantastic. And, you know, I don't really want to get into my dating history too much, but I, you know, I, I went on to have other experiences where I, I got into a relationship with a guy who would use my BPD against me, and he would say, okay. you know, nobody else is going to accept you. Oh, it was a form of control. Yes. He used it as a form of control to make you afraid. Yes. To leave. Yes. Oh, my. Turns out... Um, first of all, I, I don't think I have BPD. I don't believe so. And the other therapists and, you know, clinicians who've worked with me also don't believe so. Apparently this diagnosis of complex post-traumatic stress disorder mm -hmm. is a newer diagnosis. It is newer. It's not yes. even technically a diagnosis in the DSM. Not yet. That's right. But, um, it describes me a lot better. Mm -hmm. And... The older generation of psychiatrists mm -hmm. don't know about complex PTSD. And I think back to the psychiatrist who diagnosed me, he, I think one of the things that informed his decision was analyzing my worst nightmares. Okay. So he was looking at your worst nightmares and, and basing your reality off of that. Yes. I don't know if there, how much science is driven there behind that. that okay that's a little I, I'm gonna look into that a little bit because I know there is um there are things that do work that you do look at your trauma in a different or an event or traumatic ev one of the events and it's it's called um oh my god Dr. Ferguson's gonna kick me in the face um and so is Dr. Passy um it's uh basically we relive it so it's a uh, exposure therapy haha there it is yes Exposure therapy. I do this. I'm doing this because I'm in part of my treatment was exposure therapy. And I, instead of uh, listening to a videotape, I wrote it down and then I'd have to reread it, mm -hmm. like read it to when I got there. And mm -hmm. I, so I get, I get what you're saying, but I think that's a poor way of diagnosing someone. I mean, right. in my opinion, and I'm not a doctor by any means. Right. Stretch. I, I think it's different if the patient comes to you and says, Hey, I've been having the same nightmare over and over again. Can you help yeah. me figure this out? But I didn't, come to him with that with that and he he asked me and I didn't have any dreams to give to volunteer to him so I, I don't know for all I know I could have made some of it up I don't know how were, how old were you when you were seeing that doctor 21 okay so you were still very you were still at of that of that age where you were young enough to you know somebody tells you that your whole life it is being you know flipped upside down because now you're being associated with something and then come find out that you're not that right. at all. I mean, that brings its own baggage alone. Right. Were you medicated for that with him? He prescribed, here's, okay, I I feel like I have so many experiences that I'm not, like, sort of laying out neatly to you. It's okay, you know, but then you don't have to because I don't know that mental health and everything is a right. neat pile. So right. I don't know that you need to worry about that. I know that... When I had my suicide attempt, I was on a cocktail of drugs. Okay. And I just knew that I didn't want to be on that anymore. So mm -hmm. I took it upon, and I don't recommend, I don't recommend this. I can't recommend it. Yeah. I, I'm not licensed to recommend it. <laughs> no recommend But this. I'm just saying this is what I did yeah. after that attempt, after seeing that psychiatrist, after realizing, also I have, sorry, after realizing okay. how... That I wasn't going to get help from the system. Yeah. I took it upon myself mm -hmm. to do what felt intuitive at the time, so I weaned myself off. 
Yeah, and that, that right there is a dangerous, it, it's, it's like an incredibly dangerous thing to do. I know they warned me of that. Like, that's the, no, the number one thing. When you start mixing medications and you you try to go off of them, if you taper wrong or you don't, and that's why it should always be done with supervision. Yes. Um, and do you feel like that was maybe what triggered the suicide attempt so aggressively? The meds? You just it, tapering no. off of them? I didn't have any immediate reactions that I could think of, but the thing is, when I tapered off the meds, it wasn't the last time. It wasn't mm -hmm. as if I said goodbye to my PTSD. It wasn't like I said goodbye to my depression. Mm -hmm. Absolutely not. It just started, it just meant that that I started looking into other ways of medicating myself, which mm -hmm. weren't the, the healthiest and no. best. And no, it was a whole, it was a shit show. Like, are you talking? Are you talking um, legal drugs? Are you talking illegal drugs? Are you I talking alcohol? I went through a phase where I was experimenting with yeah, some psychedelics. Not psychedelics. That's something else I want to talk about. Oh, we, but, oh we're gonna get into that. Don't worry. But um, I went through a phase. My early twenties, I was used, I experimented with street drugs. Okay, so you went. You you like. Do you really think that if you were not on that cocktail of medication that you would have turned to something like that? Absolutely. Really? Because the I don't... Because when you taper off something like that, whether you feel that there's uh, an influx of chemical imbalance or not, there yeah. very well could have been. But yeah. you won't know. I mean, you might not know that. Right. But do you see you being that... Per like, at that time, would that have been out of the ordinary for you? You know what? Come to think of it, I don't know what I would have done had I not tapered off my medications. Mm -hmm. I just didn't know. I don't think I was thinking. I just knew in my mind I was telling myself a story of what hadn't worked. Okay. And I, I think I was angry, and I think I was self-destructive. So you were you really, you were more, It's I don't even know, I would even call it suicidal at that point. You were experimenting, and the lack of... You just didn't care what the I ramifications were. I, yeah. Wow. I didn't care. And to be that low, to not care about yourself at that level, it's so hard to explain to people who have never been there. Yeah. Um, to you, was it that you didn't care if you just died, or was it that you didn't care what happened to you in the sense of you didn't care as if you were going to... How do I word this? This one's tricky for me because I don't, I truly don't think that you would have meant to hurt yourself using those drugs. I think you were just looking for a moment of relief. Yes. Yep. Does that make sense? Um, one of my favorite, are you familiar with uh, Gabor Mate? I am not. Please explain. He's based in Vancouver, so he's a, uh, he's a, doctor, a physician. He You've been posting, or have you been talking about this human being? Have you spoken I've... about this person before? Yes. Okay, so maybe that's why I, I recognize the name, but I, the Vancouver guy. Yes, so he's based in Vancouver, but he's he's internationally known. Mm -hmm. um, he had, he's written a couple books. He, I think last year, he did a podcast with Russell Brand, and Holy. I could listen to him speak forever, but his... The TED Talk, the one that I tell people is my favorite TED Talk of all time, he says something that just made so much sense. Actually, no. This thing that he said on his podcast with uh, Russell Brand, 
that people who are addicted to drugs, it's, we should almost look at them and say, these are just people who are, who are trying to medicate themselves because mm -hmm. were it not for their addiction, they would probably be dead. They would probably commit suicide. Yes, because they're looking for a way to cope and numb the pain that is the mental illness or what they're struggling with. They're yes. looking for a coping mechanism. And if you don't find those coping mechanisms in um, the standard society's happy way, that can be seen as destructive. Right. And then we look at these people as... Um, drug abusers and people who don't care about their lives and want to throw their lives away when oh, really that's the complete opposite in the majority of time right. is these addicts are not addicts because they want to be it's, there's addicts because they cannot handle what is going on in their mind because it was so horrific right it's it's trauma so you can't it's very sad you can't solve the problem of addiction without solving the problem of trauma and now like you know it's really interesting that you asked me about that phase mm -hmm. after receiving the, that diagnosis after I guess like now looking back I would describe it as a self-destructive phase but really I still had the trauma that I still wasn't addressing and I was mm -hmm. looking for other ways and I'm lucky that you know that those other ways didn't completely destroy me well really realistically think about it I mean we live in Vancouver which has access to um, what I was told yesterday, and I, I still need to look this up, but um, one of the worst areas in North America for drug abuse, which is the downtown east side, if you really, truly wanted to ruin your life, you could have. Yeah. You could have made that decision. It was incredibly, you know, incredibly accessible to you. I don't think I was thinking, though. That's what I mean. Yeah. It's, I don't know that a lot of, the, a lot of people, when they start doing drugs to cope or numb things really know why they're doing it they're doing it they're just they just know that they're doing it yeah like you said you don't remember like you can't think of a time I mean personally in the time that I've known you the thought of I, I can't picture you going out on the street and doing I my brain is having a hard time wrapping around that yeah. picture I I couldn't picture myself either that's why I don't think I got that far but I don't think anybody who ends up there thinks about it it just, yeah. you know, as much as I would like to say, well, I, I you know, woke up just in time and I decided to just get to my life that, together. Yeah. doesn't work like that. No, I was incredibly lucky. I had friends. I had, you know, people who believed in me. I, you know, had a certain amount of privilege because I was also living this double life. I have, you know, the thing that I'm grateful for is that I have an intelligence that I could market and, and mm -hmm. earn an income from. Mm -hmm. And with that income, I ended up investing in therapy. Yeah, and if you don't have the money, therapy is incredibly expensive. Yes. It's not, it's, it's a, it is, it is such a privilege to be able to say you go to therapy. Yeah. That's so messed up. That's so, do you hear, like, do you hear how that sounds though? Like, that's so wrong. Absolutely. That should be a basic human right. Absolutely. I, uh, and then, so that was just talk therapy. And then at some at some point, I decided to get real, like, EDMR, EMDR. EMDR, yeah, I've done yeah. it. I've done Which it. is even more expensive than talk therapy. <laughs> I, I I tried it. Uh, I, I honestly can't tell you if I know what that cost is. Veterans Affairs at the time, I paid for it for me. And it didn't. I found it didn't work. I just felt like I was having a small seizure 
the lights, but it works for some people. Yeah. But it should not be costing people, uh, you know, an arm and a leg to pay for to pay for something like this. This should be a basic human right that everybody's entitled to. Um, I mean, can you imagine the amount of suicides that could be prevented and you know, abuse and trauma and later on in adulthood, just the amount of people you could say save but prevent from having to hurt in the way that they normally would if they had access to a different type of therapy. Right. I... We can't be a society that tells people to reach out if they're having suicidal thoughts, but also shame them for talking about their trauma. Yeah, that's it. That And that's what we're seeing. And I'm hopeful that that will start to change. And I, I'm liking... I, I'm, I'm thinking it's starting to change, whether or not that's true or it's just because... Uh, we have so much more access to information and so much more access to individuals on a, on a large scale basis. But I do know it's looking like it's going in a positive direction. Um, and I think that's a really great way to kind of segue into something you and I both have in common, which is not only trauma, but that, that uh, curiosity and, and interest in understanding other forms of therapy. Mm-hmm. Um, so do you want to talk about that a little bit? Are you comfortable talking about oh, yeah. relax and all that? I mean, I have an entire playlist on I my show. mushrooms. <laughs> it's just the best. So let's talk about it. So what made you go, you know, uh, hard drugs, street drugs, through that period? You had, fortunately, you had a family and you had supportive friends. That took you on into, um, you know, a point in your life where you could actually focus on your therapy and actually focus on yourself and and go through all these traumatic events again and relive them. But then that also brought you to a point where you started having interest in other Psychedelics. Forms. So tell me. Which was, a, a, like, it's a relatively new development. Actually, very new. I didn't mm-hmm. start. Okay, so here's the backstory. I now have a YouTube channel. I, I work on it full time. I make videos about mental health. I have a series. It's well if you look at if you look me up, it's just Julianne Q. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have a playlist where I, of just videos about psychedelic therapy, mm-hmm. and it all began with one video. And in that video, I just I, sh- I talk about my microdosing experience, and lo and behold, it was a video that kind of blew up compared to the other videos I had. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, okay, well that's interesting. A um, few weeks later, I make another one, and then that blows up. And I'm like, oh, wow, people are interested in this. People want to know. Exactly. So I, what I want people to know is, you know, there's that self-destructive phase I went through. And then I, went, I started going to therapy. I started really investing in myself. I really started taking seriously the work of bettering myself mm-hmm. and, and healing my trauma as best as I knew how with the help of people Mm -hmm. who were qualified to help me and I feel like I got to a point where I I got as far as I could but still what I was wired with my default sometimes Mm -hmm. still felt like it overpowered my better judgment those tools in the toolbox and the toolbox aren't always enough for people. And yes. Is, I, I say it like that because I feel like it's a simplistic term, but it, it holds so, so much weight. Like that toolbox, if you're not given those tools. Yeah. And the, uh, there does come a point mm-hmm. in, in therapy, and I've reached it. I've been there too, where you plateau. Yeah. And then that's when you decided. So 
Um, that was, I would say that was last year. I started plateauing. And then I had a friend who started microdosing. So I got some magic mushrooms from him. Mm -hmm. And it worked really well for me. And before then, I hadn't even considered psychedelic therapy. It was completely out of my... Did you know it was a thing? Did you know it existed? I didn't even know people were doing it for, for medicinal purposes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I mean, I had an experience in the past where I would take magic mushrooms to concerts. Yeah, we go party. Yeah. It's a party drug. Yeah. That's what people... But I didn't know it could use, be used for therapeutic purposes. And so then I that's what I did this January. I started microdosing. Mm -hmm. It changed my life. It honestly, like, this is the best my mental health has ever been, ever. You've seemed so level-headed and steady, and steady in the sense of what you're putting out, the quality, it's working, and it's showing on the outside. Thank you. Well, you're welcome. It's true. I didn't know what you were doing, though. <laughs> I just thought you were just, like, kicking ass and taking names, but I didn't know. I didn't know. I had no idea. Right. Well, this is what I was doing. I was microdosing. I was yes. using psychedelics. And then I started learning, you know, I started reading books from the experts in this field. Mm -hmm. I started reading scientific papers. And it's hard not to become an advocate, a proponent, when you see it for yourself, when you experience the positive effects. Exactly. How transformative it is. And to learn. One thing I also started doing this year was I started meditating. And... There it was difficult to get used to, especially mm -hmm. in the beginning, you know, I was told myself the story, I have, I have ADHD. Mm -hmm. And using magic mushrooms and meditating at the same time... Is the game changer. Game changer. Game changer. Game changer. And then to since learn that both meditation and psychedelics have the ability, they have the capacity to robustly... Mm -hmm promote neuroplasticity and neurogenesis like your brain actually changes in mm -hmm. very positive ways over time through the use of psychedelics and meditation yeah and constant and, and not but and, and i'm going to reiterate this and when i say when we say psychedelics we mean a micro dosing amount on in a grown adult human who is making the choice to do that not yes. putting it and slipping it in someone's food like i had happen to me in high school or it's it's treating these like you would treat any other form of therapy, a yes. chemotherapy, a radiation. It does a dosage. It does in the right space. It does around the right people. Yes. There has to be a protocol to it. Yes. Otherwise, it will turn into this people saying, oh, well, mushrooms fix all everything. They, they do. do. But they <laughs> do. I mean, they do fix. I mean, there was that study that I don't mean to interrupt, but that study that just came out. Um, four times uh, more likely to heal uh, than antidepressant. Yes, I think it came from John Hopkins. Is that where it came from? Yeah, yeah thank yeah. you for clarifying that because I, I did see that Rogan posted it, um, and I was as soon as I saw it, I was like, Hallelujah, they yeah. get it. Absolutely. See, and and I I also sense a a degree of responsibility now that I'm making content about this. Yes. Because. I, I don't want to come on here and say, well, this is a miracle cure. And they're like, knowing how transformative this thing mm -hmm. is, this practice is, you almost feel like you have to 
protect how sacred it is. Yes. Because, I mean, just the way that these drugs became Schedule One drugs to begin with was largely a product of misunderstanding. Of course, it's all drugs, well, the majority of drugs, due to the era in the United States. Right. And Schedule Oneing everything. Right, exactly. And it's such an injustice to me when I, when I get emails from people or commenters, people who watch my videos and they'll say like, they just want to know. They just they just have questions about magic mushrooms, and, the, and they'll like just reading the, the the amount of people who will open their emails by saying like I, I swear I'm not one of those people. I'm not. I'm a seventy. I'm a seventy two year old woman <laughs> who just lost her husband, and yeah. nothing's working. We were together for forty years, and overnight I just I don't know how to be happy anymore. And then I also you know received an email from a couple who lost their twenty three year old son. They're like clinically depressed. It's they're they're down to their very last. They can't break out of it. Exactly. That's on its own should tell you that every everything that you're saying about it is is important. It's accurate, and and you wanting to protect that. I understand why you want to protect that. I can I can grasp that. I can wrap my head around something like that. It was such a sacred drug in our in history. Um, way 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 back when when you know ceremonies were done with it it was an honor to to have that and it should still be treated as such and i feel that way about cannabis i feel that way about psychedelics that are proven to work um i know there are many states that have now legalized it i know there are studies happening at ubc and uvic on Everything from psychedelic magic mushrooms to MM, uh, MDMA. Yeah. Um, there's some incredible research being done. And I, I just, everything that you're talking about when it comes to these is, is so relevant to our listeners in the sense that they have no damn clue about these. But all of a sudden, you know, their Facebook or their news is being populated with magic mushrooms are working. Yes. There needs to be guides to this. And I think that's why your channel on YouTube is so incredibly important. People will feel at their wit's end and have no other way to to feel better. Like these emails you're getting. Mm -hmm. And if you're not doing videos like this or people aren't being advocates for it, these can be dangerous. Yeah. And all it takes is one person who, you know, maybe doesn't takes agree with too much in the wrong setting gets the wrong, you know, source, mm -hmm. and then, lo and behold, he's, like, he's in the news, and all the people who want to misunderstand this, who don't understand it, can just latch on to mm -hmm. those stories. I don't want that to happen. And, and so, what I'm doing now is I make videos, and I, I, what I can do is I, I can read the papers, I can read the books, I have the time to do that, mm -hmm. I have the time to synthesize I can try to do it as, as best as I can, but at the same time, I know that I'm not, you know, an expert. And I say that in my videos, like, I'm just somebody who is interested in this mm -hmm. as well, who has read the books. Yeah. And this is what I've learned. So you can take it for what it's worth. Yeah, that's it. And I think that's why people, uh, your videos resonate with people, though. I think that's the difference between you and somebody else trying to do this. I think you do it and you come at it from such a caring, specific um, holistic standpoint of only ever benefiting the mental health of others 
And I think that's why it resonates the way it does. And your videos educate people in a way that they may never have had access to before. Um, for example, I came from a really small town. If you would have told me 10 years ago that people, or even 15 years ago, that people were going to be using psychedelics to handle depression, I would have laughed in your face and been like, I was just like drugged when somebody put them in a sandwich of mine and I just had li <laughs> literal tiny blue guys smurfs chasing me with knives coming under the door and then every time I close my eyes they, my eyes turn into kaleidoscopes yeah so that was my experience what a terrifying experience Perfect. I read in uh, James Fadiman is one of the leading experts I think his protocol for microdosing is seen as a standard protocol so he wrote in his book the psychedelic explorer's guide that giving somebody psychedelics without their permission without their knowing it mm -hmm. without their consent mm -hmm. is akin to rape it's fucked up I'm sorry to say, but it, um, when somebody described to me microdosing for the first time, I went into like full blown body sweats because I have this vivid, like, I think this happened to me when I was in grade 11, 12, right? So I was fairly young, but I mean, I'm 31 now. And the idea that I'm still talking about that, yeah. that had an effect on me and whether or not, um, I acted like it was fine and like it wasn't a big deal, whatever. Ha ha ha, hilarious guys, you're so funny. Like, I, it's, it bothers me. And now the thought of, you know, people exploring magic mushrooms for treatment makes me so happy, but terrified for them at the same time because I never want someone to have, people have bad trips. Yeah. It's inevitable. Mm -hmm. That's why science and people that are studying these say, setting setting dosage setting yes can you explain and to me why that's guides. so important and guys and why those are so important though i don't really understand the psychological processes maybe look at it from somebody is having there's some now some some researchers are preferring the term challenging trip over bad trip Ooh, i like that because they're of the belief that really i mean the bad trip a bad trip ends the moment Mm -hmm. the effects wear off yeah but there can be challenging trips like if your expectation i mean certainly maybe it, we can say it's true like if you take a psychedelic ideally you wouldn't want a challenging trip no. nobody takes a psychedelic for those reasons but they do happen and i think set and setting mm -hmm. minimizes your chances of having a bad trip Mm -hmm. doesn't completely guarantee that you won't no for sure one, but it minimizes and I, I don't know exactly why but I do know that this piece of advice has it works so well that it's almost become a cliche yeah for, but for very good reasons mm -hmm. for people in this community and another component is having a guide yes and now there are a number of clinics that are operating around here all over with really experienced guides who will take clients in and walk them through mm -hmm. the experience of you know, a, a macro dose, not necessarily a micro dose, but a macro dose. And those can be really, intense. what I read, yeah, intense, but really healing experiences. Hero doses are what I hear about people taking when they really are trying to have, um, an altering experience that will benefit their mental health mm -hmm. um, afterward. 
I had friends who, oh my God, a girlfriend of mine, I won't say her name, but she did a hero dose and she was telling me this story and she's tiny. And she did, she did more than I thought she would do for sure. And she said, she said something to me that kind of sat with me and made me think about it um, in a different way, a bad trip or a challenging trip in a different way. And she said, you know, I was horrified at what was happening, but for whatever the reason, I needed that more than I needed. I needed that to happen. I needed to go through those things. I needed to feel those things. I needed to have that panic and that overwhelming sense of, of just lack of control over the situation. She goes, I needed that. And ever since she's done that, the communication I've had with her, she's a different human being. In yeah. the most positive, this is somebody that struggled a lot with trauma. And her story is not mine to tell. But her progress and her ability to be who she is now after seeing that is so beyond phenomenal and and overwhelmingly exciting for the study of where these are going, these psychedelics are going, that it gives me such hope for people. I'm not even going to say like us because I'm sorry. Trauma as a child is a whole different, is a whole different ballgame in my opinion. Um, I don't, I can't touch that with a 10 foot pole. That, that's something to me that scares the life out of me, let alone having to, to survive something at a young age because you are so out of control in in the sense that you can't understand anything of why it's happening to you. So I'm happy to see people like you and I who have been through things in our life have an answer that is not just pharmaceutical based. Mm -hmm. Um, Pharmaceuticals are often necessary Mm -hmm. uh, for a lot of reasons. But to hear that something that grows in the ground, that has this massive history of being a beautiful drug given at ceremonies um, to not only honor, but to grow as a human, to grow into a man or to be a woman. If you look back in history, this drug was used for so many reasons um, in such positive settings that I think it's, it's, I don't even know where I'm going with it. I'm I'm nothing but rewarded and and optimistic. I'm so glad that you're doing these videos and you you kind of dove head first into this, really. And I don't know that I ever saw this side coming. I get I get a lot of feedback like that. Like the people who know me yeah. say, I never imagined you making uh-huh. videos about this because before this, you know, I, I'm very put together. That's kind of my image, I think. Yeah, I'll give you that. And now, you that I'm making, now I'm making videos about psychedelic drugs. But it's that but that's the thing is when you said to me it's how do you talk openly honestly about trauma how do we have that conversation where it's not being you're not being shamed for being an openness and honest about it you just have the conversation you're just having the conversation yes one of my favorite quotes ever is a quote by carl Jung. um i think he's the godfather of psycho Mm. No, that's Freud. Mm-hmm. He's the other one. He's, yeah. Anyways. I know who you're talking about. If you don't make the unconscious conscious, it will direct your life and you will call it fate. There's so many people walking around with trauma and they don't even know it and it's unconscious, but yet they act on it and they mm-hmm. don't realize it. Anytime somebody lashes out, anytime somebody reaches for the bottle, it's all around us. Mm-hmm. And when you do the work of healing your trauma, that's you doing the work at the end of the day. The psychedelic drugs can only 
help bring out what's unconscious to your consciousness and you make the decision from there. Mm -hmm. And so it's, it's not even necessarily, well, psychedelic drugs heal you, you heal you, yeah. but sometimes we need help. Sometimes yeah. we need talk therapy. Sometimes we need meditation. Sometimes yeah. we need a whole support system of people who make it, Absolutely. make us feel safe opening up Absolutely. about our trauma. I think you should always, I think you specifically, I think you specifically have found a space for people to feel safe about that. And I think that comes through when you say you get these emails from like these women, these 72 year olds, these families of, that have gone through such loss that you could never fathom unless you've been in that. So you don't, when people listen to this and they go, well, I, I know I have people who are going to listen to this and who are going to go, how can you be so open and honest, but how can you be so willing to take drugs that are, you know, schedule one, they, don't you know that they cause psychosis and don't you know, you know, yeah, guess what? So does overdosing on Zoloft. So does overdosing on X, Y, and Z. Anything that you have been given can hurt you too. The only thing that I feel safe with right now, sorry, is stuff that comes out of the ground. And the reason being is I feel like our world is flipped upside down in the sense that it's being brought out into the forefront. Companies who make pharmaceuticals are totally okay with making them just to profit, whether they're actually useful or whether they're actually doing what they say they're doing or having long-term long -term ramifications down the road. You're starting to see the dirtiness come out, and I don't like it. And I don't yeah. want anything to do with it unless I have to. Right. And it's about time we have innovation in that space. So, exactly. fun fact. Um, we love fun facts. Sorry. Pharmaceutical drugs. So, uh, for, I think, over 30 years, there were, basically every antidepressant on the market is just like a minor variation of Prozac. Yeah. Oh, fantastic. And it wasn't until ketamine got FDA approval that that marked the first new major innovation in the pharmaceutical drug market for the treatment of depression. But that's ketamine. Ketamine, ketamine is a psychedelic. Yes. And this whole time, we've had civilizations, as you were saying, over history. Tons. Using their own mm -hmm. natural medicine. And they've, and they've used it, and, like, there's been studies, and I'm, I'm going to try to pull up the studies because people are like, you're just talking out your ass, and I, I'm not. I have listened to these, and I'm trying to remember the names, but they're escaping me. And if you know me, I have a fleeting memory. Um, the, there are studies that have been done on, I'm going to say it again, Rogan had a gentleman on, and I'm going to find his name, and he studied Greek mythology and Greek history and all of these incredible things, and he got to actually look at these pots that um, they had found that hadn't been uh, contaminated, and I'm getting this totally all con convoluted, but essentially they found psychedelics inside, like residue, um, and they went back in it, and they're wondering now, maybe that's what they meant when they were talking about X, Y, and Z. It was really because they were used, at, you know, psychedelics were used at ceremonies, and that's what really, I'm totally fucking this up. I'm going to link his podcast to it because it was such an incredible episode, I love learning about how drugs, for lack of a better word, I don't, know, I don't want to call them drugs, psychedelics were used um, in, in the past for growth and now to see them finally being used again in the way that they should always have been um, intended to have been used is, is a beautiful thing. 
I'm, I find it fascinating that you bring up ketamine because I've just recently started hearing about people using ketamine for depression. Um, Whitney Cummings talks pretty openly about it on her podcast and she's got like a spray. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I'm sorry, there's ketamine sprays? Did, yeah. did you know this? I've heard of it, yeah. Oh, it just blows my mind to, to, to think that 30 years ago we were putting people in prison for life when they had something as small as a joint. Right. And now on the open market we're, we're talking openly about ketamine. Yeah. That's, a, that's an incredible thing. Yeah. You can go also... Um, I think the main way for, like, really, if you're depressed, mm-hmm. for the way to get ketamine treatment is for it to be injected. Oh, IV-wise. Yeah. Okay. So ketamine infusion therapy. Never heard of this. And I don't doubt, from what I've read, it's it's highly effective. And most people who get it, they report experiencing relief of their depression symptoms within minutes, which is incredible. That's insane. It costs 400 to $2,000 per infusion. And that's out of reach for a lot of people. Majority of society. Yeah. Unless you want to go to the black market, which is terrifying. And that's yeah. what I was going to say is we still have a lot of these drugs, drugs scheduled. And yet we're coming out with studies proving that they're working. And then we were, we're wondering why people are overdosing on things that they're trying to help themselves with. Yeah. Yeah. Or just people not having access mm-hmm. to things that they're reading about. And they would like to try, but they just don't have access. Mm-hmm. I'm not, okay, so I want to just make it clear, I'm not anti-antidepressants. No, either am I. I'm on one, and I'm totally cool talking about it. Absolutely, and, you know, I I like the idea of having options. Yes. And I think for so long we didn't have many options, and it's it's great to see now that we're starting to to have options again. Mm -hmm. Because even if that option isn't right for you, then that's fine. Then not every option... Not every drug is going to be right for someone. Not every drug is going to have the same contraindications, and that's why they say you listen to a commercial on TV and it's got 900 bajillion things where they're like, well, you could also have dizziness, heart like, like was a heart attack, sweating. It's like all of these things that you could get from it, and then at the end it's like Zoloft. Want to feel good about yourself? <laughs> it's like that last tagline, and it's like, but did you forget all the other shit that you just said to me yeah. that I might be comparing my vision like and watching, you know, the actors run through a field? And oh, I know. And the dandelions—they're holding hands, and then yeah. they're all smiling at the end, like so. Prosa, <laughs> fix your life today. Yes. I'm like, I'm sorry. What was that all before? Anyways. Yeah, it's like oh, liver failure, kidney failure, everything will fail yeah. if you take this. It's like. Those drugs work for some people. I'm on Zoloft. I've been on Zoloft. That one's worked for me. I was diagnosed with severe post-traumatic stress disorder and then later on found out that I also have MDD, which is major depressive disorder. Fun fact. And, uh, but looking at me right now, would you know that? No. No, because Zoloft function well today. (laughs) No, but it's part of it. No, but it's part of it, and it's not all of it. And I think that's the mistake that we make is we we hand out these, like, they're TikToks, but we don't do talk therapy. We don't do other treatments. We don't look at the trauma event, and you think that these drugs are just going to fix it. So I know for a fact you're not anti-medication, anti-antidepressants. I know you're not anti-pharmaceuticals because you do know that they can work. Yes. And they do work, and they do save lives. Yes. But... We can also look at other things that maybe aren't making people billions of dollars. 
Maybe it's okay to look at something that grows in the ground and, and see. Something that's not going to give you brain zaps for a month if you wean off them. I got, speaking of that, I was trying to explain this to someone the other day. And I don't know if there's a better, I'm, I don't know if I'm going to do it on camera, but it's pretty funny. I, I remember when I ran out of my medication, okay? And it was like a two or three day span. Two or three days doesn't sound like a lot for someone. When you're on something that is an antidepressant, that is a serotonin reuptake drug that keeps you level. Yeah. And you don't want to, you get these head rushes. Yeah. And what it felt like, I would be sitting here talking to you, but it felt like my head was just going like that all day long. And it wouldn't stop. And then I would get a migraine. And that terrified the, like that, that, that terrified me. Mm-hmm. Because the thought of what happens if something happens to the world and I can't get that. How do I wean off something like that? Yeah. How does one... And I used to be on like 10. So I'm cool with just being on one, but I'm not okay with just having that be my end-all be-all. I need to look at other solutions and um, options to help prop that up and do and, and give it the best chance at, at causing um, a positive reaction. Right. Um, I, I, I want to know where you stand when it comes to using ketamine and things like that on a long-term basis. I haven't read. I haven't read enough on it. So okay. I, I, I'm not sure. It's fascinating. I'm just at all these studies coming out with the antidepressants. Um, I haven't gotten a chance to read the ones that have come out that have um, been associated with psychedelics. I guess I'm just curious. I'm just yeah. curious about the long term, how long it lasts. And yeah. What I do know about um, classical psychedelics. So ketamine is a psychedelic. I'm not sure if it would be classified as a classical psychedelic. Yeah. But classical psychedelics are thought to be anti-addictive. So there's, mm-hmm. it's kind of impossible to be addicted to them. Uh, fun fact, the founder of Alcoholics Anonymous was a user of LSD. The person who first synthesized LSD, Albert Hoffman. Yes. He lived until the age of 102 and he continued. He was a vocal proponent of microdosing his whole entire life. With, let's say, LSD, it's like... If you've ever, have you, well, maybe. No, it's okay. I'll totally, no, I have never tried LSD. I've, I've, um, I think the most I've had was, uh, I did, I've had magic mushrooms. Uh, I had salvia once. Before that was like illegal. Do you remember when salvia came out of the market? Do you know what salvia is? I don't, well, I've heard of it. <gasps> I don't even know if I've done it. Okay, let me tell you about it real quick. Because it was a, okay. Salvia lasts like 10 minutes. Uh-huh. It's a similar thing to like a DMT kind of. Um, in that sense and, and what it is is you inhale it and it's like a you, it's like a weed right you inhale it and as you exhale it hits you oh, like wow. a brick wall and all I remember from my experience I had a friend named uh well never mind nope <laughs> he has company and he's doing well and yeah. I don't anyway um we did it and all of a sudden I was a letter in a book and the book was closing and so I was on the page page just got smaller and it was closing and I couldn't get any lower to the ground. And then when I finally was able to stand up and I started walking, he was like, you were walking like you were on a steep incline like this. Oh my I, 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 I don't even know what that looks like. It was, you can't, I can't wrap my brain around it. It was intense beyond all measure. 
that was the only other like psychedelic, I don't even know what that's yeah. classified as, um, that I've ever done besides like mushrooms. So here's yeah. my question for you. So after that experience, how much did you feel like you wanted to do it again? Never again. It's exactly. You can't get it. I know you can't get addicted to it. Right. And so, for example, anybody who's done a, a hero's dose with <laughs> magic mushrooms yeah. or LSD, it's common. I personally haven't, but I can only imagine after going through something like that, you want to take some time off. You need a minute. It's, yeah. not, it's not advised to be done on a regular basis. I mean, it's, it's all about, oh, my God. Oh, my God. There was a Netflix. Oh, my geez. I, need to, I can't believe I'm going to talk to you about this. There's a, a Sting, I think. The singer. This mm-hmm. is the, yeah, yeah, yeah. He was talking about a time that he did them and like set and setting and how he had one really bad trip and then he had a, he's had like really good trips. But it, the thing that they, he said that I loved and it, it's, it's so true. You don't do them all the time. This is not like a thing you like go out and every weekend you do a hero dose of mushrooms. Like, you no, because they won't like you. It won't agree with you. Your consciousness and whatever you see when you're in that, well, no, 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 no. They won't like you abusing that, whatever they is. Right. There's some people who say you can't even abuse it. Oh, I don't doubt it. it I don't yeah. doubt it at all. I don't right. know how you could, to be honest with you. So technically, they're not chemically addictive. That's but incredible. But whether or not you decide, let's, let's say with microdosing, whether or not you decide, well, I prefer myself on a microdose versus not, mm-hmm. that would be a psychological compulsion. Yes. Um, but... It's not the chemicals that are making you do it. It's and you that, believing that you can't and that could go be, without it. And that, well, and that could be argued that the person that takes that because they feel like they are a more productive, better person on it, yeah. that could be argued that that's a positive thing and that yeah. they should take it more. Like, they should microdose. Like, they should be the person that uses microdosing on a regular basis almost right. because it's similar to... Um, an episode I heard about um, with a human, what was he, a behavioralist, he was talking about narcissism. It's like we don't often say that narcissism is a negative, um, is a positive thing, unless that person is a Fortune 500 owner or X, Y, and Z or President Trump. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> so those are the narcissistic, narcissistic traits that people don't see. Well, it's not a negative. He's a powerful man. He's, he's, he's driving forward. He's, he knows what he wants. He, you know, he, he knows he loves himself. But then if you see somebody who has a narcissistic um, disorder and they are nothing but um, negative and they have nothing positive going for them, then we go, okay, there's a problem. busted for running a Ponzi scheme. Or exactly. <laughs> or that. Um, then, then we don't really, we don't, we don't look at that in, in a negative as something that needs to be treated or something that needs to be looked at unless it is, sorry, we don't look at like people like Trump as like, oh, he needs to be medicated or fixed or, you know, because he's just powerful. He was able to get there. He's a powerful man. That narcissistic traits, those narcissistic traits have lent positive things to him yeah but if somebody is unwell and has those traits then we feel the need to medicate that we feel the need to fix that and so when you say that somebody's like I feel better or I am a better person when I microdose yes that there may be a dependency portion of that but if that is allowing that human being to be a healthy more productive happier part of and and, and productive part of society we shouldn't, I don't see that as a dependency then. Right. You know what? I'll tell you um, what happened. I feel like in the beginning when I started microdosing, it was working so well for me mm-hmm. that 
I was doing it every day because I believe. Uh, you take days off. Well, that's what I tried to do. Okay. But what ended up happening was my tolerance built up so quickly okay, that yeah. I just, it just wasn't feasible for me to just continue at yeah, that that's expensive. Yeah, exactly. So I had to take time off. I had mm-hmm. to. And it turns out if you take a week off, your tolerance is restored by 80%. If you take two weeks off, it goes back to 100. Something so like that. That's, that's incredible because if you think about that in terms of comparison with a pharmaceutical drug yeah. and how long it takes for that to get out of someone's system. Yeah. I have an experience last year when I uh, tapered off my antidepressants under supervision. I was just going to supervise this time. This time it was supervised. Very good. But the challenge is um, I was on a really high dose. Okay, so the, the, for you to taper, that's going to be a significant harder yeah. point on your body. And the drug that I was on is notorious. It can be very helpful in certain use cases. And... But it's also very notorious for being difficult to taper oh. off, and that was the one that I was on. Um, and so my doctor had me on a schedule, and he actually extended it like to twice as long. Oh wow! But still, when I got to the end of it, mm-hmm. um, I had you know two weeks of brain zaps and then two week grace period, and I thought I was in the clear. And then after that, I had I went through like, every single day daily migraines for a month. And I didn't know when it would end at the time. And I went to the hospital twice because of it. It was, you've had migraines. You were going through like a withdrawal. Yeah. Migraines every single day. Migraines are debilitating when they're bad enough. And I know exactly what you're talking about. And I'm telling you right now, the the few and far that I get them, the idea of having one every day makes me not want to wake up. That would be... I completely understand. That's something that we don't talk about is migraine disorders... No, people don't, they don't realize that's a thing. It's, like, at all. I'm surprised that people don't see it as a disability. If you, if it's something that you're living with that is constant in your life, for me it's not. I got over it. Yeah. But thank goodness. But there are people who, who suffer regular migraines. I oh. I can't imagine. No, there's, yeah, there's people that are in the hospital on a regular basis. Like, there are, uh, the, the, the beautiful and terrifying thing about the brain is that it can be its own worst enemy. And it can do it from the inside without you even realizing it's happening and uh, on a chemical level. And so migraines and things like that come from straining and come from, uh, you know, tons of different reasons. Mine come from straining. So I, I have to get Botox in my forehead. I'm, I'm due for it, as you can see. It's moving. Um, but I sit and sleep like this. And so I've also had two eye surgeries where I went permanently cross-eyed. And that straining causes my migraines. And then once I got the privilege of getting PTSD such a kick in the face with, um, my migraines took on a whole new meaning. They were a different type of migraine. So I, I know there are people out there that cannot. I mean, a friend of mine, she can't, if she's having one, can't be in the house. Because any noise will cause such horrific pain. Mm-hmm. And you have to go to the hospital. Because the drugs that they have on the market to, to fix them are not, they don't even touch it. Right. They scratch the surface. Yeah. They give you a shot and then it lasts six hours. Is that what you get in the hospital? That's what, what I got at the hospital. I've never had one. I've never had to go for one. I've come close where I was vomiting and it was, I called and they, you know, yeah. if you can take this, try this. If it doesn't subside, come in. And luckily I was fortunate it didn't 
my girlfriend had given me one of what she had for her, like, serious migraines, mm-hmm. and it was enough to get me through it. Was it a powder mix? Yeah, and it was Campia? My, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what it was called. That was the other one that worked for me, but apparently it was the only thing that worked for my migraines when I was going through that month of daily migraines, but the issue was that it was $15 a pop. Oh, my God. For a little packet that'll last you at best a day yeah and you're not supposed to take it every day but yeah. I was having migraines every day what do you and what are you supposed to do as a human being when there's something sitting in front of you that can fix it but you're you're being told you can't take it every day yeah that's difficult and I think that's where I come back to like natural I'm saying all natural but like psychedelic remedies I've found with microdosing my migraines aren't as severe me personally Right. Whether or not that's in my head, whether or not I don't have any physical proof, I don't have any medical proof, but I notice it. Right. Now, that could be contributing factors to my depression, and it could be contributing to my PTSD and getting better or worse or ups and downs. Are you microdosing right now? Are you a- not this second. Not currently. I, was, I stopped for a little bit. I took a minute off because I, I wanted to see if there would be a downslope. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. My doctor knows I'm doing it. He's aware of it. He's not perfect. Like, they're not, it's still illegal in Canada. I mean, here. Um, he said, uh, what are you using? I explained it. Where'd you get it? I explained it. How are you doing it? I explained it. When are you doing it? How are you blah, 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 blah. Followed my protocol. Did it um, for a while. And it worked. And I, I didn't see a downtick. I saw almost like a, a calm, like a, like, my brain got it for a second and was like, you needed this. Yeah. And everything was just, I could breathe for a minute. And it didn't feel like everything was coming down on me on a weight that it had always been. And for me, that set volumes. And so when I went back to my doctor, I said, hey, I did this, da 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 You know, I found it really helped me. Um, he's like, great. If you feel like it's still working, continue doing it. You know, don't, you know, you know, he goes, you know, you're an adult, you know, the rules here of how to do this properly. Um, And he would know, he'd be able to tell if I was abusing something like that. My God, I have a husband and a child that would be able to tell, but I, I do it properly, safely in a safe environment. And do you know what I mean? Like I'm very smart about it because it is considered illegal. And I think as time goes, these these drugs aren't going to be illegal any longer. I mean, Oregon just was it Oregon that just decriminalized Oregon. all drugs. Yes. Am I wrong? Is that over Small amounts, but it, also the big one was mush, magic mushrooms legalized. Denver is legalized, yeah. and and so you know it's a matter of time before British Columbia and Canada have this. I'm not concerned on that front, um, but it yeah it works. I love it. I I, I will hopefully be starting it again soon. Um, but it works and it's weird. It trips me out that it works. Not trips me out in like a psychedelic way. It like blows my own mind that when I eat this gross little stale tasting piece of ground, <laughs> that it can truly affect my brain on, a, on a, in a way I never, never knew I could have freedom from again. And your, your migraines are less severe. Mm-hmm. So now, do you ever, when you feel an, um, a migraine coming, do you ever, is that what you take? I haven't. I've ha- I haven't, no, I um, didn't notice it until I had stopped microdosing for a while, and then I had a, I had a migraine come on. Um, I didn't take anything for it, 
Um, I didn't like, I didn't, I wasn't like, oh, I'm going to try it now with the mushrooms. No, I didn't take anything. It just didn't get to the point where I had to lie down in a dark room again. Wow. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So it was like, it was there and like, I'm not just like, it was behind my eyes and I could feel it. And it was like, every time I opened my eyes, it hurt, but it didn't go past that, which was like, okay, something's changing. Something's changing in the, in the brain here. And if you look at scans of, of soldiers with PTSD and people with healthy brains, the brain matter is different. There is yeah. a physiological proven change in the brain. And I would be interested in having my brain scanned now and five years from now because I am such an advocate, like I said, and you are, of, of, of healthy choices with psychedelics. Yes. It's working. There is somebody who I think would be a great guest. I'm just yeah. thinking about a story now. He's somebody I interviewed on my podcast. He's the board chair of MAPS Canada, the, the multidisciplinary association of psychedelic studies. Yes. He's also the founder of the Canadian Psychedelic Association. So please, Trevor, I'm shouting you out right now. Trevor, you're coming on my show. He ran a clinic um, okay. in the downtown east side where he was using Ibogaine to treat addiction and he was doing a lot of pro bono work for wow. some of the residents on the downtown east side. But unfortunately, wait, this is from my recollection. Okay. Please don't quote me. No, no, that's fine. It'd be awesome if he could just be here. He'll, he'll come on. I'll yeah. force it. Um, I'll force it. Don't worry. So it was working really well. Yeah. But because he was dealing with psychedelics, he couldn't yeah. continue to operate that clinic. So it's such a sad, unfortunate way that our society is running right now that we have to have university studies that are already underfunded yeah. in charge of trying to run research on this when if we opened it up to people like him who were doing this research and gave them the proper protocol like he could come up with the proper protocols with the proper funding think about the research that could be done and, and the true help that could be done with, with with trauma and mental health and addiction yeah it's I've heard I've heard stories of people with addiction and finding relief from that addiction using psychedelics yeah i don't know the, the research on it i just have heard that and i know it, it that alone makes me want to read into it more yeah because if something is changing your functionality on a on a chemical level that's making you no longer addicted to something that was literally had a hold on you and was ruining your life you lost everything but then to see people come out of it using a psychedelic that should be that should be enough for yeah. the government to step in and say, "Hey, we really need to research this." Yeah, exactly. And and there are more there are more there are more more studies on this being done, thankfully. But we're just also emerging from a forty year dry spell mm -hmm. of scientific research mm -hmm. in this field, mm -hmm. essentially. Um, it's on addiction. I think it's one thing to have the willpower to not use the drug that was providing you relief. Mm -hmm. But it's another to not feel a compulsion to reach that drug. That's the isn't or that what you know whether it's retail therapy or whatever addiction you have. Isn't that half half of it, right? That's like more than half of it. It's not that you can't break that chemical imbalance. It's you now you've got that compulsion. That that's like a behavioral. Now you're talking about a behavioral trait. Yeah. And something that needs to be worked on completely differently. Right. And so the conversation around psychedelics is that they have the capacity to interrupt your addiction. I think that's the term, to interrupt an addiction, mm -hmm. which is different from just, you know, <laughs> being strong and avoiding being it. Being strong, doing all the programs. Yeah. But that doesn't always work. Sometimes people need more, and that's 
totally okay. That's what methadone was created for. I mean, you look at the the surge and why that drug had to be created. Right. Like from from trauma, from disaster, from um, horrific things happening. Sometimes some positives can come out of that, but it often you need that level of uh, trauma and issues and worldwide just frustration before you know these things can fully come out to the forefront and not be shut down right away. And I and I see that happening. And I see that happening because of people like you. And I think it'll continue to happen with people like you as long as you continue to be open and honest about it. And I think you're doing that. And when I when I say to you that I've seen progress, I am absolutely nobody. But to see you become just healthy, whether you're putting on an even better front than I than I can see through, I just see even that is a huge compliment. <laughs> you just you seem vibrant you seem like there's life in your eyes in a different way and the passion you have I mean don't get me wrong you're an entrepreneur in every sense of the way and I wrote some stuff down we didn't even talk about it but like your businesses and what you've been able to achieve growing companies selling companies in the tech industry as a woman I mean do you want to touch on it do you want to talk about that do you have specific questions? Yeah, I got a couple. I, we'll talk about a little bit. Can sure. You, how yeah. Yeah, because, um, listen, that's what people know you for. The stuff that we just talked about, people don't know you for. Right. And I think I'm I'm honored to be the person that you let that out with, to, to, to be very truthful, because I know how hard that is. Yeah. I get it. I trust you with my story. That's a huge component of this. Well, I appreciate it's that. Like I know you're not going to judge me. Oh, God. They're like, it takes a certain amount of like feeling safe to share your story. So I thank you for that, for creating the space for me. I'm glad you could feel safe with this face because this face is, not everybody feels safe with this. I get an often, I get a, a hard exterior. So people, you know. You were on my podcast earlier this year, yeah, and you, I the longest episode, but it was also this, the Four one soul. that I didn't want to end because I was so... I was so captured. Well, I captivated. appreciate that. I think captured. it's captivated. Capt- captivated. You were so captured by me that I held you, held you hostage, and made you listen to me. By your story, and I, I still am so invigorated by that conversation that we had Good. because it was so authentic, and you were just all about sharing your experiences. Well, with us, I feel like we there we have a lot of things in common, but we have a lot of things in common that are not surface level. I think you and I have a lot of deeper, 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 darker things that we have in common. And that that gives some, a little bit of, um, it radiates a safety feeling, like almost like a, hey, you know, you know the unspoken things. I don't really need to talk, but you know, if I'm having a hard day, you kind of get it. You know what I mean? Like, you don't have to be like, why are you being so like a bitch today? Like, what's wrong with you? It's like, it's, it's no, my Starbucks wasn't wrong. I'm fucking going through some stuff because I had some nightmares last like you know that isn't something that you're not the type of person I have to explain that to and yeah. I think that comes with the level of comfortability that you provide as well and I think it's a, a, a dual-edged sword we do that for each other when you got into um when you got into business when you got into the tech industry why 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 the tech what what made you want to start your businesses that you've sold and were so successful with so i actually went to school for political science okay i got jaded halfway through because duh politics yeah um so 
and I was at UBC. So after that, my first full-time job out of university was at a tech startup okay. where they had hired me for social media because at the time it was the only marketable skills that I had. I joined this tech startup, 20-person tech startup. I was the only woman. Oh, lovely. And learned very quickly. I think I had a huge chip on my shoulders, and but I wanted really badly to succeed. Mm -hmm. And what I loved about being in that environment, in a startup environment, is that there's very little room to hide behind cash flow. So you can yeah. see really quickly whether your idea is a good idea or a bad idea. Mm -hmm. And I had people that I had to report to, people who were older than me, who had more experience, mm -hmm. with more degrees. But then it was interesting to have been able to prove myself in that environment on the sheer merit of my ideas. I mm -hmm. think that's why I like tech so much, is on because of that. It's yeah. the closest thing you can get to a meritocracy. Yeah. The thing that I don't like, and I, and I hate to even say this, because no. for the longest time I wanted to just I wanted to just have the best attitude and to not constantly be aware of the fact that I am female, you know, I am younger. Mm -hmm. But when you have experiences that you can't explain away other than, would that person have spoken to me in the same way had I been a man? Like, it's, it's hard not to be aware at the very least. But then again, you can't constantly be thinking about that because then you'd be angry all the time. Yeah, I know. I know all about that. You just got to learn how to just give it back to them. And it's almost like, well, that was me. I mean, if I found that a comment was made, well, I'll make a comment back. Right. I can play this game, too. Right. <laughs> I think you play it so much better than me, though. I, I think do. I to develop a tough skin. I am naturally a very sensitive person. I know. You're just like a tiny little butterfly I want to protect. Oh, even though you're shorter than me. Oh, I'm tiny as <laughs> hell. I'm, I'm the smallest one in all of the room, but I'll always be the one that'll be like, I've got you. Don't worry. I'll carry you through a burning building. I can't lift you, but I'll figure it out. Love yeah. Much. And I feel, honestly, I, I, it sounds, I don't know how weird this is going to sound, but I feel... Very safe protected. So I make you feel safe. I do. Good. Good. It's all the knives I have. I think it's your presence. Well, and the fact that you openly advertise that you have knives. I was in the military. I enjoy every. I enjoy everything that blows up, explodes, shoots guns, and knives. Violence. So, um, tech startup. I. The reason why I left that startup was because my ego got too big, and it really? got to a point where. I replaced the marketing director who I was working under, but then I then the people that I had to report to next were the bosses, and I had hit a ceiling, and I couldn't. Yeah, you And so I thought, well, I'll just do this myself, and broke off. You know, I had a co-founder. Mm -hmm. I had a developer. We were working out of somebody's apartment, mm -hmm. and that was sort of the beginning. Like once you get a taste of that. It's hard to go back yeah. to a regular job. Yep. And also, somewhere along the way, I don't even know. So when you say, "Oh, I sold a company," one of those companies is like a Play-Doh business lifestyle website that I started out of university. That yeah. Would you sell selling? Would you sell for though? I don't even want to exactly. say exactly. But it doesn't a matter. Huge amount. It doesn't matter because the point is, somebody thought your ideas were damn well good enough to invest their money into and buy from you. Right. So what? That doesn't matter. So otherwise, it was like a really cool experience. Yeah, I died. But and it was so, terrifying too, though. At the same time. Here's the thing. I it almost felt less terrifying when you 
back when you were smaller, back when you felt like you had less to lose. Oh, I get it. I didn't it. even feel that fear. It wasn't until later on, you know, with my last business running a marketing agency when I had an actual team on payroll. Yeah. That was when I started feeling like I had more to lose. <laughs> yeah. And then now looking back, I'm like, where is that sense of fearlessness that I had in the beginning? Yeah. It's funny how at some point, like, which is why now I'm a huge proponent of meditation, regular meditation. It's mm -hmm. like when your ego creeps up on you and blinds you, like you don't want to be looking back on your decisions in hindsight and regretting how yeah. you made those decisions. Wow. I think that's, I think that right there on, on its own, like knowing that you have such, that's why you're going to be just fine, girl, because you've got such introspection. Like, what you just were able to look at, like, nobody would say that. Like, uh, if anybody else would be like, oh, to keep your ego in check, you know, sometimes you just got to get kicked in the face once in a while, which is also true. But sometimes you just need to meditate yourself through it, and you you will be humbled yeah. really quickly. Yeah, for sure. Wow. Like, I'm sure you have those experiences, too. When you look back, you're like, oh, I, should, I wish I hadn't done that. 99% of, uh, like, my time. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. I, I have this um, tough exterior or this very, I'm very loud. I'm a, I did find out why I'm so loud, though. Fun what? fact. Yours truly is getting two hearing aids soon. Oh. That's right. I'm okay with it. I'm cool with it, bro. I'm fine. Did your doctor explain to you how it might be related to your brain? Uh, yeah, so I have a tinnitus, which is the ringing in the ear, which is related to that. And that gets yeah. worse when trauma happens and when you are more stressed. Right. So that ringing happens more often. But I actually just have hearing loss from artillery guns blowing up all the time. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Just a lot of booms. Okay. Big old booms and explosions. So I just, uh, that's why I'm, I, I'm so loud. And so for me, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm an out there loud, uh, you know, outgoing, out, what people see is this outgoing person, but then when I'm not on a camera or I'm not doing something like this, I'm the, the mushy one in the corner who's crying at a dog video because the dog looks like it got left and I wasn't there to help it. Like, I, I'm, I'm, I, I am honest when I say I judge myself, I'm too hard on myself, I constantly question my choices and my decisions and could I have done this better could I have worked harder could I have you know I could have spoken to somebody more respectfully could you know, like I run through the gamut of stuff on a regular basis and the, when somebody says well you look like you're such together I'm like you don't know the half of it and I think I'm totally okay with showing my other side of it and I think it's because it doesn't have to be ever all of me um, I can be okay with it with being this hard exterior and having that version of me. But I also have this other version of me that is a GD disaster. I'm a disaster in like the, I think the best kind of way. I'm chaotic. I'm all over there. I always get the work done. I always, you know, have, you know, I get the house cleaned. I you do the job. You in a matter of months. That's yeah, but, that, <laughs> but that's what I'm saying is like, you can have that side of you, that ego side of you that can be lended to, to be a positive, driving, energetic force. But, yeah. But then it can also be the downfall. Exactly. There's that saying that goes, your ego can either be a loyal servant or a tyrannical master. Mm -hmm. So I think when people, especially in spiritual circles, they'll say like, ego dissolution is good. Not having an ego is good. Or yeah. at least that's the message I yeah. get. Maybe I'm mishearing. I don't know. But in a psychological sense, your ego is meant to be a tool. 
yes. is a tool that you can use. And sometimes, like, if you're staring a bear in the face, yeah. something tells you to play dead. Yeah. That's probably... There's you reasons. Know, yeah. It's when... So it's interesting, like, seeing your ego, conceptualizing your ego as something that you can relate to, and either that relationship is mutual where you're you know you're in check your mm-hmm. ego is in check or it's ruling you and you don't even know it because you're so identified with the thoughts that's the worst that's the worst side of it that's the worst side of what you know an ego can can do and what it can cause like the damage it can cause yeah you can lose so much yeah and I think about the people I've hurt in the past and I think about the version of me who was on the other side of that relationship and that was my ego, and I didn't even know it at the time. But now you do, though. I try, but I can't... I try. You're the least egotistical person I know. I don't even know what you're talking about, because I, honest to God, have never seen that side of you. I met you at a time when... Oh, my God. Did you just... You had your businesses going, right? Yeah. You, you had sold one, Yeah. and you were working on your marketing. It was at the TED Talk, the TEDx. Yes. I don't remember because that's right when I started this. I think I was in the midst of like I was needing potential buyers for my second yes. business. Yeah, you were you were already ahead. And even then, and even then you did not seem to have an egotistical dickhead air about you at all. I, I would have said it. Chip on my shoulders though. I didn't, was very insecure. Imposter syndrome didn't feel like I belonged. Oh, well, that's yeah. my life. I don't feel like I belong in doing anything I'm doing. At all. But I also know that I'll never belong here if I never try. Yes. So if I don't try, I can't, I can't really be mad at my I can't, can't say I didn't try. I mean, I can't be mad at myself. Like, if I'm going to if I'm gonna be part of something, I'm going to be a part of something. I'm going to yes. throw everything that happened to it. That is the thing. Many things I admire about you. Oh, but one of the things I admire about you is, like, with this podcast, you had an idea. You just did it. If anybody <laughs> is looking to start a podcast, just this is it. my advice. Don't overthink it like I did. Just do it, and this thing will take on a life of its own if it's, it's meant to be, just like how this podcast seems to be taking on a life of its own. It's getting there. We're just starting. But right. We're getting there. Exactly. And that's how you're supposed to do it. And, like, anybody who comes across this podcast can sense that you're doing it because you want to help people. You have a mission to be having conversations like the ones one we're having today. Conversations you don't normally hear at a cocktail party. but Unless you're at one beside me. And no. then you're like, that's concerning. Can you stop saying that in public? No. Because you're freaking people out. Like, well, that's this, your, this, this is your channel. This is my show. This is your show. We can talk about whatever I want. Exactly. And if people don't like it, they can just turn off. Yeah, turn me off. I have a feeling that, honestly, yeah, I don't want to get sappy. Don't get sappy. Don't do it to me. Listen, I'll... I'll but I'm just so proud of you. Oh, I love you. You're, you're, the, you're the sweetest. And, you know, I'll... I'll, I'll start to slow us down here because listen, I, I've been an, an admirer of you and we can go back and forth on this and I appreciate your, your kind words and all of that. But you know, I, I got the opportunity to go on behind the grind and that to me was a big deal because you, it, you know what it felt like there? It felt like for a minute people were recognizing me for more than just my trauma, but like shit, I was actually working hard to do and help people with. So it felt like, okay, a validation. So you gave me that validation that I'm worth talking to. And, and I, I want to say thank you for that because you helped me to, to create this. And you're, you've been a stepping stone in that for me. And, um, 
I'm, I'm, I'm more than thrilled to, to have you on again. I'm more than thrilled to, to, to have a segment where we talk about psychedelics on a regular yes. basis as this progresses because I think it's going to progress. And I think you are well-educated in it and you care about the education behind it rather than just saying numbers. You genuinely have a respect for psychedelics and a want to protect them. And I would be more than honored to have you on a million more times to talk about this and and your journey. And the fact that you opened up to me, I, I will say, is something that um, I don't take for granted. I don't. I don't expect from all of my guests by any means, and I sh- I honestly do not expect that from you. Um, but I will say it has been one of uh, the greatest uh, interviews I've gotten the chance to do, and to feel to know that I make you feel safe, and that this place makes you feel safe, is all I could have ever asked for. Um, and to show people that mental health does not have to be the end all, be all, and that you can be cracked, but you don't have to be broken, and you're yes. the epitome of that. So at the end of this episode, just like every other on the Brass and Unity podcast, we feature a charity that's doing the hard work. And this uh, week's charity feature is True Patriot Love. And they are a military family health and support center that focuses on mental health, physical health, research, and innovation. They are a Canadian charity that helps so many. So please do yourself a favor. If you are looking for any sort of resources or people to help out, please do yourself a favor. Go to truepatriotlove.ca and um, see what they can do for you guys there. See you all next week.